Hello and welcome to the O&M Stockroom. We are your hosts, Brian McGarry and Ken O'Malley. Tonight is episode 19 of Complimentary Cinema. If you're new to the channel, Complimentary Cinema is a program where we review and discuss films that you can watch for free that are available on YouTube. Be warned, we discuss these films in detail. So consider this a full spoiler alert. So uh, it was my turn to pick tonight. And I decided to go with uh, Mars Attacks, which I have wanted to watch for a very long time and never have. Directed by Tim Burton, it came out in the end of 1996, and it has a ridiculous ensemble all-star cast in this, including people who are very famous now who weren't really famous back then. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think we enjoyed this one pretty thoroughly. And a lot of... uh even just background characters, you know, celebrities that aren't even in it for very long or, you know, not even that big of a part. Just for a blink, really. But that, that beginning scroll of names, it's just like it keeps going and going and, and going. going. It's the Energizer Bunny of uh, title credits as far as the, uh, the the star names. It really is. So, uh, yeah, so it was uh, directed by Tim Burton based uh, loosely on the, uh, the Mars Attacks trading cards from the 1960s from Topps. Uh, that's definitely where the visual cues came from. And overall, it's a good spoof of just uh, like mid-century science fiction in general and war in the worlds, war of the worlds in particular. Just done in a very hilariously, wonderfully campy style. Yeah, they take all those kind of tropes of an alien invasion and then just they make the aliens completely ridiculous. And they make 95% of the human characters completely ridiculous as well. Yes. It's hard to take either the aliens or the people seriously. The people are like complete caricatures of America. They really are. They really are. So, uh, let's see. Let's talk about our cast of characters, of which this is pretty long. This is a long list. This is a long list. So, first we have uh, Jack Nicholson in a dual role. He plays both uh, President James Dale and the Las Vegas entrepreneur Art Land. Uh, his first lady is Glenn Close, playing the character of Marcia Dale. You have Annette Benning as Barbara Land, Art Land's uh, wife. Pierce Brosnan, uh, during his James Bond era, I may add, uh, he's playing uh, Professor Donald Kessler. Danny DeVito as Rude Gambler. A yeah, good, he doesn't have a name a, even. A good example of just one of the more background character types. Uh, Martin Short as Press Secretary Jerry Ross. Sarah Jessica Parker as Natalie Lake. Michael J. Fox in his final uh, on-screen film role as a reporter Jason Stone. Rod Steiger from, as General Decker. Tom Jones as Tom Jones. Lucas Haas as Richie Norris. Natalie Portman as Taffy Dale. Jim Brown is Byron Williams, Lisa Marie is Martian Girl, Sylvia Sidney, uh, probably best known to modern audiences as uh, Juno from Beetlejuice, and that was her final film as well. I mean, you've got Paul Winfield from Terminator, Pam Greer, Jack Black, uh, Christina Applegate as Sharona, just some random dude's girlfriend in this. And uh, yeah, just a ridiculous number of other people and background characters. Uh, those are those are all the main ones that I would uh, want to address in this one. So uh, let's uh, let's give a good rundown of our synopsis here. 
Mm. So uh, we start off with the uh, aliens at the beginning. There, there's a scene of just kind of like some somewhere in middle middle America where uh, there's like cows that are running by on fire, and it looks like you know some Martian spaceship has lit cows on fire, and uh, it's it kind of sets the tone right off the bat because it's completely ridiculous to see like cows running on fire. I mean, it's horrifying, but it's also kind of a little silly. You know, it's silly because of the setup, too. I mean, you have, you know, some some rural neighbors talking. It's like, hey, where's the barbecue? You know, and he's like, yeah, you know, it smells like a barbecue, but it's not for me. And just the, the uh, just even the effect of it, the effect of the fire on the cows, the effect of the really badly rendered uh, spacecraft. I it, it immediately just sets the, the tone of absurdity. And I. I have often, many, many times in this series, I have talked about how bad CGI, you know, frustrates and irritates me to no end. In this film, this film has terrible, awful CGI, and it's to its advantage every single time. All the spacecrafts are terrible. All the space scenes are, are terrible. I mean, it it's like public school level computer room level of animation at times mm-hmm. and i mean like mid 90s era school room ability uh, and it, it just it kind of adds the silliness because they're they're obvious like you know if you tried to make it realistic this movie wouldn't work if you tried to make those realistic effects absolutely the tone would be wrong yeah so like so yeah the because they're kind of like a like a comic book almost i mean they don't look like comics but you know what i'm saying like they're they're certainly based on a comic style of art, though, from those trading right. cards. And it really, the, CG, the, the CGI, the effects, fits the tone of the film. It fits the writing of the film. It fits the way that uh, these actors portrayed these characters. It's a, it, I remember I, I was uh, 13 or so when this film came out. You know, just thinking about how awful it looked. And I, at that time, I was into, like, you know, serious sci-fi. So I really was, like, snubbing my nose at it for... You know, quite a few years. I, I, I'm finally in a, I'm in a place in my life where I can actually appreciate this for the fantastic gem that it is. So anyway, so uh, we we set our scene here with uh, the aliens are are you know we see them all getting on their spaceships and they're flying towards Earth, and uh, we we cut to the president, and he he's getting briefed on. Martians are are coming, and we're gonna make first contact. What are we gonna do? And uh, all of his advisors are telling him, "Oh, like, oh, like we're gonna try to communicate with them because they're highly intelligent." Or, you know, his press secretary says, "Like, we're gonna make a big a big deal of it. We're gonna get all, all the ratings from this, and you know, think of the campaign, basically." And then uh, there's that one general that's like, "We should nuke them all." It's a great, it's a great introductory scene for for these characters because uh, so you have Pierce Brosnan playing the professor, Donald Kessler. He's a very just smug, self assured, uh, almost arrogant, intellectual type who's just he just immediately is like, well, they they're an advanced civilization, so clearly they're they're not belligerent and aggressive like us more primitive folks. So we have should have absolutely nothing to worry about. And and the you see very quickly too how this president has uh, 
that you don't quite find out right away that he has no spine and no ability to make a decision on his own, but it's, it's demonstrated very early on that he just, he's a leaf on the wind when it comes to these things. He's got to get everyone's opinion and he just kind of goes with the majority vote. Yeah. He just, he, yeah, well, exactly. He just goes with everyone else's opinion and then he doesn't have any accountability really. Oh, none. And, you know, so, you know, so the majority opinion in this, in this room is like, Hey, it, how can it possibly be a bad thing? You know, these hundreds of, of flying saucers coming straight for earth. So, yep. So, uh, we see a number of other scenes and all of this also just sets the tone for the humor because it's very obvious from the beginning that, you know, everyone has their kind of little niche they're playing and it's kind of this view of America of like, you get a very beautiful cross section of just different classes, different, you know, just different classes and different cultures. You know, right. you've got the inner city bus lady, her, you know, her estranged husband, you have, you know, uh, you have like the white collar reporters, you know, obsessed with their TV life. You've got the, uh, you know, the redneck, you know, how quick can he put this rifle back together? Yeah. The whole family, you know, the whole family, a whole screwed up family, I may add. And it's, it's just a beautiful little snapshots. And, and then the Vegas scene, you know, you've got, you've got all the people gambling, you know, the guy that's just trying to, to make money and to send back to his family, who is the, the, the yeah. kind of city family in Washington. And uh, so you just, you get a whole bunch of little scenes of just like little slices of life and how ridiculous it is, you know, just how ridiculous these normal people are or their normal lives are. Yeah, but you know, and even some of it too is still relatable in a way. You know, you have the you have the mothers like chasing after her two kids who aren't coming home. They're not going to school. They're playing hooky. I, I should say know? not ridiculous, like in a bad way. But it's like it, they play up the humor right from the bat, just you know, showing real situations and how people are reacting. You know, just a little in extremist, like Danny DeVito's uh, oblivious, you know, gambling character, just absolutely not paying attention to what's going on. Mm-hmm. Just very focused in on himself and what he wants. And the uh, the the floor manager at the casino. Oh, yeah, yeah. That was a great one. So uh, Byron, you know, the former. So Byron, the former boxer turned, you know, L, you know, Las Vegas club entertainer. He's he just wants a raise. So, you know, he's like, hey, can I talk to you in private, boss? He's like, nope, got to watch the floor. What do you want, Byron? You know, they have their exchange and he just shuts them down when he wants a raise and just very, I identified with that. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think a lot of us have been there just like, you know, Hey, I, you know, I'm a little lean, you know, could use a raise. Nope. Can't do it. I can replace you super easy with somebody even cheaper. So just be grateful. You're getting your poverty wage. Thanks America. Free market capitalism. There it is. So, uh, we have, just uh, basically the, the president decides he's going to go on TV and he's going to announce there's Martians coming and, uh, but not really say a whole lot about that. Just, you know, we're, we're going to see what happens basically. I mean, it was a very, uh, we're, we're on the brink of a new era yes. kind of a thing. I mean, it was, a, uh, it, 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 he, he gives, it, he gives those speeches where it's like, you know, super, super, process it, it's an absolutely perfect politician speech because it, it says it says it says a lot and tells you nothing yeah just lots of words floating in the air 
But we did like the touch where he's uh, sitting there by the by the fire. Mm-hmm. That was a nice touch. The fireside chats. Yep. So the, so the Martians come and they decide that they're going to meet him in the Nevada desert, which is, you know, like you do. Area 51, Roswell, right. blah, 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 blah. It's just the area that's, you know, that, that's just where aliens that, come. That's just where aliens go. That's where you go hang out with the aliens. I get it. So they uh, they pick one of their generals, General Casey, played by Paul Winfield. I, I love this guy. He was in Terminator. He's in Star Trek Two. He's in one of the most famous episodes of Star Trek: The Next Generation. Not a famous actor by any means, but just I, I've loved everything I've ever seen this guy in, and he has a great little role here, where he plays a very. He basically plays Colin Powell of mm-hmm. the film. Yeah, he plays like the the general on the opposite end of the other one where he's like, oh, well, it'll be fine. We'll work it out, you know? The the diplomatic general exactly. who's very, you know, m- more of a peace lover and less less hawkish, which is... Yeah, it's basically like, let's put on a good show instead of, you know, let's let's use force. Yeah, you know, which, you know, honestly, if, if we are going to make first contact with another species, we should at least begin on a peaceful note. Yeah, make it make an attempt. You know, I mean, yeah, I mean, I think that was the right step to do in the first place. Yeah, was yes, extend the olive branch, extend the extend the peace feelers. That's what you do when you encounter a new culture or, you know, meet with a, a new group of people. So I think that was the right decision, even if our, our idiot president James Dale came to it simply by like, oh yeah, I guess that sounds good. So uh, the first flying saucer comes down. There's lots of people gathered here. And they have this. One thing I love about this scene is like the really bad analog tape translator. Mm, yeah. It's like they took two reel to reels, but used the small reels and just kind of threw it together. And oh, yeah. In a previous scene, there's a transmission from the alien spacecraft before they land. And I absolutely love this scene because it's uh, the entire Martian dialogue is ack, ack, ack. Yeah. There are no other syllables. Sometimes they say ack, uh, like ack. Ack, ack. They, they change the tone of the ack, but it never is anything but ack. Right. Which uh, reminds me of, uh, it's like how the, how the Romans came up with the term barbarian. Because mm. apparently uh, they felt like uh, the people from Africa and other places just said bar, 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 bar. Hmm. So barbarian. And I just, I was just thinking of like that kind of uh, mentality with the, the dialogue for the Martians, you know, like it would be unintelligible to us anyway. So why not just make it comically stupid and just go act, act, act. Yeah. So that was funny. It's yeah, completely ridiculous. Just ridiculous. Keeping in, 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 you know, keeping the tone of the film. So they're using this ridiculous, crappy contraption to translate. And also in this scene, uh, they have the, uh, the 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 TV people who we've seen a couple scenes with them, their relationship before. And they're also just like, you know, the, the lady who is going to do the inter- interview is like fashion reporter from whichever station. And she doesn't know anything about anything. She knows less than nothing about anything. And she carries a little giant-eyed rodent dog with her. A chihuahua, as it's sometimes known. Yes. 
Yeah, just completely, completely oblivious. She has a, uh, a scene earlier in the film with the uh, Professor Kessler, mm-hmm. and she can barely just even pronounce the word astronomy. Yeah, or science. So but the, is you know, there's a, there's a whole lot of stuff leading up to that. Part, lots of stuff. But then everything there is just like cranked up all the way. They have tanks. They've got, you know, military just kind of standing in the background. Tons of hippies. Hippies everywhere. Hippies everywhere in the desert. Annette Bening, uh, what was her character's name? Barbara Land. You know, she's the the very hippie, hippie wife, peace-loving, earth-loving. When she's like turned a leaf, you know, she was an alcoholic. So she's like, you know, she's trying to get herself in order. And uh, she thinks that this is like the sign, you know, the Martians are here. Everything's going to help us. Everything's going to go well now. So she's watching from like a butte off in the distance, getting a really good view of everything. She's all happy. She's all excited. Finally, you know, the Martians come down. The Martian ambassador and some soldiers descend from the ramp and our uh, General Casey's all, you know, really excited and just, you know, all right, this is an important moment. And, he makes a fantastic, uh, you know, little speech to the to the Martians, and they kind of look at each other and nod, like, hmm, yeah, and they, they get the translator to work, and it sounds like, oh, hey, we come in peace, and one of my best, uh, one of the best moments in the film, the hippie with the dove. A hippie just let lets this dove loose into the air, and it's flying, and it's, it's passing over all the people below, and the aliens look at it. And they whip out this huge ray gun and just vaporize it. Yep. And then they just start to kill everybody. And uh, this is really the first time we get a great look at the aliens. And they look completely ridiculous. They have the giant heads and, you know, no skin. And uh, their movements are, are kind of funny. Uh, they, they're, they're lollipop heads. Mm-hmm. Like super skinny, scrawny bodies. Giant bulbous heads. And just, yeah, they just, they look stupid. They look <laughs> absolutely stupid. And they're, and they're based primarily on the artwork from those old cards. And that old artwork is great. I mean, it's kind of scary, but it's also very, uh, very much a, a product of the time period it was made. And, you know, 30 plus years later, it's definitely a dated look, which adds to the charm of this film. Mm-hmm. So there's, you know, there's a bunch of killing, you know, Michael J. Fox, he's one of the reporters, he gets vaporized. Uh, Sarah Jessica Parker's reporter character, she gets kidnapped. Uh, Jack Black is in, is in this, is one of like a redneck army guy who gets, you know, completely wasted. The body you know, count gets pretty the, high. The body count just gets astronomically high very quickly. And and even, no, the, my, the best thing about the, after this, you know, the president and his advisors meet. And they're like, oh, well, maybe there was a cultural mis- miscommunication or something. And you're just like, you fucking idiots. <laughs> and like, you could see this happening. Like, this is so, it's so funny because it's so ridiculous. This is like exactly what would happen on Earth tomorrow if, if we were visited by, by an aggressive race. It's just like the extreme, you know, just. I, I just, but they they think, oh, maybe it's the birds. Like maybe the, 
they're offended by birds. Maybe then they like the birds. Yeah. And then, they, so yeah. And then the Martians communicate again, like, Oh, Hey, we actually would like to, we're sorry. We didn't mean to kill a bunch of people. We'd like to address Congress and, you know, Oh, everyone thinks that's a great, great idea. Let's, let's let the Martians into, into the, you know, the Capitol building and address Congress. It's like these aliens are the biggest trolls and the people just keep falling for them over and over and and over over. and over. So, uh, guess what happens in the Capitol building after the, uh, the ambassador goes, alien ambassador goes to address Congress. Well, everything was fine, right? Cause there was no birds. Yeah. There's no birds. There's no hippies. So it was great. Naturally it went well until they pulled out a bunch of ray guns, started killing everyone. It's just fantastic. And then, you know, Pierce Brosnan's, you know, intellectual characters there. And he's like, this doesn't make any sense. You know, because how, how could how could this this guy possibly be wrong about these aliens' intentions? You know, and then our president, James Dale, has absolutely no idea what to do, of course. Because now he's because now he because now he's down his professor. And he's asking his family, you know. Like, Marsha, what should I you know, what do you think? Well, it's like, you know, he loses his first general yeah. in Nevada. And then in this scene he loses his his uh scientific advisor. Mm-hmm. Which just leaves the uh, the Weasley press secretary. Say, we've already seen the, the press secretary's uh, character building scene was him soliciting hookers. So several of them. He's not, uh, you know. He's not. He's not exactly morally incorruptible. Let's just say. Yeah. So, yeah. So he's left with his press secretary and uh, one really angry, red-faced general who just wants to nuke these guys. Mm-hmm. So in a lot of ways, it's too, like all those advisors, they're overcome by their weaknesses. Oh, absolutely. Hubris. Yeah. You know, and then the press secretary, he falls into a trap uh, ridiculously easy. He, uh, he tries to solicit an alien in disguise. Mm-hmm. Well, I have to say it has the best beehive hairdo yes. I have ever seen. Yeah. She has a, a huge skin suit on, basically. That you know, the, the, her huge bulbous head is the, the hair. Yes. And you know, this 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 lady doesn't say a word to him, but he, you know, he's like, "Oh, do you want to see the White House? Do you want to see, uh, you know, let me show you the Kennedy Room, which apparently is like a an illicit sex room." Which I'm going to tell you right now, I that's how I want my bedroom to look when I'm filthy rich. Hmm. Once we have like ten thousand patrons. That are all coughing up like a hundred bucks a month. It'll be amazing. <laughs> you definitely have to have that secret button, though. You got to have the secret button underneath the statue. Yeah, but it's, it's just great. It's ta- I, I like it because it's like dark and brooding and has like, but it's like really swank. Mm-hmm. And I love the uh, the aquarium. Yeah, it's a it's a great huge scene. aquarium right when you walk in. Huge aquarium. Many leather bound books. Uh, just you know, cool lamps. I mean, it's got it all. It's a great room. Like, that's the kind of place where you can really just kick back and enjoy some leisure time. Yep. Perhaps a nice game of, of crossword puzzle. <laughs> I'm, or, you know. Whatever they call it these whatever, days. Whatever the kids call it these days. And, you know, turns out, you know, so he's bested by the the alien disguised assassin who then tr- narrowly, uh, narrowly almost assassinates the president. Mm-hmm. Kills the first dog. Kills the first dog. And uh, is only thwarted because uh, the alien once again sees a bird. 
and can't help but shoot the bird. It gives the Secret Service people an, an opening to kill that alien. So we do see that there are some things that the, that the aliens genuinely don't like. I wouldn't consider that like a weakness yet, but that was, you know, there there are things that catch, Cer- catch their fascination. Certainly distract them. Yeah. Oh, God. So, so it is kind of hard to follow this film at times just because of how many different things are going on. You have a lot of subplots in this movie. We do hold, have, I guess, four, four kind of areas, you know, full areas that we keep jumping back and forth between. And that's not counting all the, the little clip side parts, too. Like, you know, where he calls France at the one point. Or like, you know, they show during some of the destruction parts, they show all throughout the world. You oh, know? yeah. Lots of little world building scenes that I like a lot. Mm-hmm. Those are those always, and, and they're always in Tim Burton films too. Yeah, and they almost always in this, at least in this film, build the humor. You know, they always kind of, uh, the, the, you know, it's just adding on. I think the humor in this movie really works that way. It just it keeps it keeps building itself. And in absolute complete opposition to last week's film, all of the uh, humor in this film is situational. Mm-hmm. In, in last week's film, which is probably one of the most unfunny films I ever have seen, and I, I feel like we should just flush that podcast down the toilet because it was so bad because all we had to say about it was that it was crap. You know, so like like in that film, every joke was, it was just a written joke. It was like, you know, like, hey, you know, like, why does the, why does the chicken cross the road type of humor? Right. Like it wasn't based on what was actually going on in the film. Mm-hmm. And it had nothing to do with the characters. Really. Had nothing to do with the characters. Like all the, all of the humor in this and why it works is because it's it's intimately tied to what's happening in the film mm-hmm. and to the the nature of these people and the ridiculousness and the ridiculousness of the situation. It's like uh, the nursing home. That's a great example too. You know the 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 redneck family has a grandma that the, the only the one kid cares about. He's you know always think always thinking about grandma. Like we got to take care of her. You know he drives her home. Yeah. You know, make sure she's okay. And, uh, you know, they set up all the little elements there of, you know, it's funny because it's, you know, it's silly little old folks home and she's got her. Grandma's absolutely nuts. She doesn't even recognize her own members of her family. But she's got her stuffed cat. She's got her stuffed cat. And she's got a record player. And, and she's she's got her Slim Whitman. She knows exactly what she wants, you know. And all those little touches, like that adds exponentially because it's like it's something interesting to think about you know it's something to not just lines people are saying you know they really built a lot into this movie yeah like there's not really anything that goes on that doesn't uh there's not just stuff on the screen just for the sake of it being on the screen Mm -hmm. like uh in one one scene early on when they start the aliens start abducting people you see the inside of one of their spacecraft and you have little uh, jars, I guess, or containment pods where they're keeping samples. And, you know, there's a big fat clown in the back. And that's a Tim Burton film. He also did Batman Returns. It's a little homage to the fat clown character from that film. Uh, but, you know, so any, so, but like with Grandma, you know, she once kept saying, you know, early in the film, I want to see Muffy and Slim. I want Muffy and Slim. Muffy being the dead stuffed cat, Slim being her Slim Whitman records. Mm-hmm. Uh, for those of you who do not know who Slim Whitman is, he was a a very tall, uh, 
old style country crooner. Uh, he's probably best known for the song "I Will Remember You," which I happen to like quite a lot. You know, but he definitely does that thing really well. Mm-hmm. The almost yodeling type of country singing, right? Which will play a fundamental role in the film's climax at some point. But yeah, there's just a lot of little scenes in here. Like it keeps jumping back and forth between. We keep checking up on our characters. You know, the guy in Vegas. Uh, you know, he was a boxer. So the um. Uh, Art Land, who's kind of the scummy uh, casino builder, he he's trying to get him to like rough someone up for him. He's like, no, I left that life behind. I'm trying to get back to my wife. So we've got this whole story of like, he's trying to get back to his his ex wife now, I guess. And kids, you know, they're they're trying to like rebuild that relationship. So he's got to get back to her anyway. He's already supposed to be going back home, but now there's like a, a big crisis. So it's even uh, the stakes are higher. Right, the stakes are higher for sure. And the temptations become greater, and yet he walks the straight and narrow. Yes. So even those side, like, because in the grand scheme of things, that was definitely like a way side, you know, just the way it's broken up. Yeah. It didn't seem like, okay, why are we, like, why why is all this Vegas stuff important, you know? But it, it, it all builds towards where we're headed. The nice thing is there aren't any loose threads in this film when it's done. Yeah, for sure. It's all used pretty well. And, you know, the people who weren't important because their characters were that great are there to get killed. <laughs> and for, or for a good laugh, you know. Yes. Or, for, or for, for a good, you know, entertaining moment. Yes. So what eventually ends up happening, just to kind of wrap up the description of this, the, the synopsis. You know, basically the, the, the Martians declare all that war. Our president is still completely inept. He doesn't know what to do. He's He wants to give a speech about, hey, you know, at least two of the three branches of American government are still working, and that ain't bad. And he gives a really lousy speech that, hey, uh, we'll come to a real outcome one way or the other. <laughs> you know, nice, vague, you know, political political talk. and Yeah, he can't deal with the pressure at all. He can't deal with the pressure at all. He's, you know, he's just he's just there to smile, nod, look pretty. He doesn't know what to do. He can't make decisions. And even the people who know what to do aren't much help either. So we get our, our angry, red-faced, you know, General General uh, Decker. He's like, Mr. President, I need you to sign this. It's authorizing our nuclear capabilities. And, you know, and he's he's mentioned this a few times in the film by this point. Mm-hmm. So by the time he finally hands him, hands the president the paper with the pen and he finally signs it, you're like, all right, finally, finally. So they launch a nuke right at one of the uh, one of the flying saucers that are in space, and you're thinking like, "Oh shit, this is this is it. It's on. What's going to happen?" Well, the the flying saucer lets out like a little red, like a whoopee cushion, almost almost like a, a whoopee cushion. You know, like a little spherical thing with a little like metal metal orifice at the end. Comes into contact with the nuclear weapon, explodes, huge explosion. It then sucks up the nuclear explosion into this like little red balloon, takes it back to the spacecraft, and the aliens inhale it like helium from a balloon and then talk in a mocking voice in a transmission to the people of Earth. And that sums up this entire movie amazingly. That's that, the, the tone that, of everything. That is the entire spirit of the film right there. Take a nuclear explosion... Put it in a balloon and then suck it up like helium and have a laugh. Yep. 
and like the 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 aliens are laughing at the humans all the time. (laughs) (laughs) Every chance they get, every chance they get, they do all kinds of weird stuff too. Like on their ship, you know, they did all kinds of weird experiments and. they take Sarah Jessica Parker's head. They put it on a, on her dog, and vice versa. Mm-hmm. Uh, the great, the fun thing they did with Pierce Brosnan's character—they just basically completely uh, dismembered him and have various bits of his body just hooked up to tubes, dripping blood here and there for no discernible reason other than just because they could. Yep, I mean that that explains them and like. Altogether, though, they just do all kinds of stuff they, be, just because. Just, just because, you know. And this film exists just because. It's just pure chaos. So the nuclear attack against the Martians goes nowhere. And it's looking pretty bleak at this point because, you know, the human race, uh, the nuclear option is the final option. Mm-hmm. That is the most, you know, at least presumably, the most desperate step that we would take to defend ourselves or defend the planet. And it has absolutely no effect. Meanwhile, they're you know Martians are going around. They're just destroying everything in, in sight. Yeah, that's what we get our scene like you know in England. We get you know them blowing up Big Ben and um, in France they destroy the the Eiffel Tower. And- they're they're just destroying everything. They remake the oh man, what, what's that monument in Mount South Rushmore. Dakota? Mount, Mount Rushmore. They remake in their ridiculous visage and. Uh, Finally, we end up at the uh, the trailer park in the middle of nowhere where Jack Black's character's family was living. And the, the late, you know, the grandma, the crazy grandma. And you have the young kid who's like, hey, I need to go help grandma. And his his family don't give, you know, they don't give a shit about him. He's like kind of like a long-haired alternative kid. And yeah, they're, they're always like, why couldn't you be like your brother? Your, your, your fat redneck army brother. All he, was, all he could do was shoot a gun and actually... He couldn't even do that. He couldn't even do that when the time came. You know, it's like, oh, man. It's really funny, you know, like, like what good is it to be able to reassemble a weapon in less than two minutes, blindfolded, if you can't even, like, pull the trigger and keep the uh, the magazine in the... Uh, anyway. Yeah. Just very funny how, you know, the parents don't actually value what's worth valuing. Mm-hmm. And this, you know... And the, it, the, and which comes to a head when they, they decide that they're going to defend the trailer to the death. <laughs> They're going to defend the trailer to the death, and there's no damn way that those aliens are going to get the TV. Yeah. <laughs> Got to remember what's important to America, the television. It's so good. So, so the young, I, I can't remember the, char- the character's name, but Lucas Haas's uh, character, you know, he wants, he's the younger brother. He wants to save grandma. They're like, oh, she's half gone anyway. But he's like, he loves grandma. You know, in the ride back to the nursing home, she talked about how, the, you know, the, oh, Richie was his name. Yeah. How only Richie was the really good one, you know, which of course made him all happy. Right. So he's like, I got to go get grandma. So he goes and gets grandma. And I love it. So like the Martians are even destroying the nursing home. They're blowing <laughs> up patients or not patients, there's but a, residents. There's like a wheelchair with a skeleton rolling around, you know, just, just absolute ridiculous, just visual gags. Grandma loves her music. She's listening on headphones, completely oblivious to what's happening behind her. You know, the whole back wall falls down. The aliens see her. Instead of just, you know, she's happening with a ray gun really quick. They bring in the most giant, ridiculous, like, laser 
beam and just put it like within an inch of her head. Like the, the gags in this movie are, are next level. There was a, there was so much laughter. So, you know, Richie, he, so he comes in right in the nick of time. Grandma, you know, accidentally pulls her, her headphones out of the, uh, the, the stereo and Slim Whitman fills the air. And what does Slim Whitman do? Slim Whitman does the same thing that modern country music does to me. It makes my head explode into a gooey green mess. And it kills the aliens. Yep. They finally have found a genuine way to, to defeat them. The weakness. The power of music. Well, specifically. Specifically. The sound of Slim Whitman yodeling. Who would have thought? So, through one one means or another, they you know, they go to, well... So they go to a radio station and they start playing Slim Whitman on the air and through various means that ends up traveling. Word gets out. Yeah. They don't exactly explain it, but you can see that everyone starts developing the Slim Whitman technique of of alien uh, uh, combat and basically, you know, slowly but surely just wipe them all out. Mm -hmm. That, uh, That was another kind of fun little scene. They they established earlier that the the you know the the mom that drives the bus and her her kids the kids are always cutting school to shoot play the shooting video game, so when the time comes they actually defend the president because they were on a school tour in the White House and they know how to use the the ray guns they're actually like <laughs> they're all about it like they're better than the Secret Service they're better than the Army yep so then at this point in the movie also it shows that that them just walking down the street with boom boxes. Blasting, <laughs> blasting Slim Whitman, uh, just destroying the aliens. Absolutely love it. So that's uh, that's essentially the film. Yeah, it, you know, it, we kind of end in a a, a post post world. You know, this this new order. Like everyone who was in any kind of power has died. So all that's left is basically you know just the remnants of humanity, and. Uh, the kid and the grandma get the Medal of Honor, and he just gives like an awkward speech, just like you know would expect a teenage kid to do. And the uh, the orphaned child of the president and first lady is the one who bestows the Congressional Medal of Honor. Yeah, it's just a nice little ridiculous wrap up. It is, you know, it's just you know everything's in ruins, but, you know. But that's exactly see this is this is exactly how it would go. We constantly have incompetent, competent people in power making terrible decisions all the time. Mm-hmm. And if I had seen this film like 25 years ago when I was a kid, I would have thought, well, that's ridiculous. That would never happen. Mm-hmm. No, that's exactly what would happen. If we did get lucky enough to survive that, it would be because of just dumb fucking luck yeah. of discovering that, hey, Slim Whitman makes these things heads explode. Mm-hmm. It wouldn't be because of anything that anybody in power made the decision to do. I really like that all the people who had who had the right kind of life uh, outlook were all the people that survived too. You know, you know the the teenage kid looking looking after his grandma, the guy wanting to get back to his wife and kids. Uh, yeah, when you realize, yeah, when you think about it, nobody who was trying to save their own skin right. actually survived. Right. Well, there, there generally was, speaking, there was uh, Tom Jones. <laughs> there was Tom Jones. He, just being he, Tom Jones, just you know, he well, he just got kind of swept up in the action. But all the people that we were following, yeah, 
You know, all, all the people who care, cared about other people yeah. were the ones who made it. Right. All the selfish people went away. That's why I think that's the reason why it feel, feels good. Because there is a greater moral purpose to the movie other than just, you know, expose how ridiculous America is and this whole situation is. But it really shows you, like, you know, the, these people had the right idea, you know, in, in the grand scheme of things. They were looking after the right people. Yeah. They, they valued what was really important. Right. Each other. The true treasure was the friendships we made along the way. The real meaning of Christmas was not the Nancy Reagan chandelier no. that crushed the first lady. No. It was actually cut school, play the shoot 'em up and defend the president. I think it's amazing that they had this many people that had lines in this movie and were a part of it and it still didn't feel overwhelming. No, because there was a really great balance. You had, you know, because, you know, Jack Nicholson gets top billing and he plays two characters in this film. But even he doesn't oversaturate the film. Yeah. Everybody has at least one moment to shine, sometimes two, sometimes three or four. And that's it. No, no one character necessarily dominates the narrative. That's that's why it doesn't feel overwhelming because it's not like you have the one main couple people to follow and then all the other people. Right. And and we spent a lot of time too with that that setup, which was really good too. They really took their time with it. Like uh I didn't pay attention to what time things occurred necessarily, but it it was a good half an hour before say action things really started to rev up. You know, they they did take their time and I I love that. You know, like a more modern movie would be just action right away. Right. Your setup, you know, setup is so minimal so often. So this would probably be a good time to talk about some of our extraneous characters in the film. It's kind of hard to say with a movie like this. With a movie like this, I don't think there is any such thing. Because you have... So, like, what are the more extraneous characters you have? Okay, so... So you have, like, Mitch, the social uh, social security, the Secret Service guy, Mitch. Mm. He's shown a couple times throughout. You know, he's the one who lets uh, the press secretary into the White House with the so obviously not human female. Mm-hmm. You know, so he he's introduced and he's he you know he serves his role there. And later on, he says, "Oh, I'm just doing my job." It's like, yeah, not very well though, because he let her in in the first place. Yeah. You know, and he ends up getting you know he ends up getting offed along with the president and some others. You know, at another scene. You know, but even he has a little bit of an arc. Um, I th- I th- oh man, maybe the manager of the donut shop who just yells at Richie for a moment <laughs> in Spanish because yeah. he's, he's screwing around, not actually working. That's fair. That might be the one, uh, that might be the most extraneous character, but it's not a detraction in this case. It's just, yeah. Hey, he was, you know, he's at work and his, his boss is yelling at him. I think it's just like all the stuff that added to the world building was fine. You know, the, it didn't feel extraneous in the moment. It was just like, oh yeah, this guy's, this kid's got a crappy job, you know, working at the donut shop, you know? Yeah. So, so that's, uh, so I guess for this film, that's just not really going to be an issue this time. Yeah. Now here's a more, here's a little more complicated one. What about the best performance of this film? Now it's always easy to say Jack Nicholson, right? Because yeah. you know he's a legend and he's doing two roles and everything. And um, two, two very different roles. Two very different roles. And uh, I couldn't tell that it was him as the second one at first. Mm-hmm. 
He changed his voice just a little bit. He's got like a fake nose on, but it's done really well. And he has the hat and the glasses too. Yeah. So, I mean, he's well disguised. It was only when he smiled with his teeth showing that I'm like, wait a minute. Mm -hmm. There was a little bit about the way he spoke too, just near the, you know, the end of his sentences. You know, just the way he talks. He can't really help it. He had little giveaways, but it was hard. If you had told me it was another actor, I would have believed you. Yeah. If you'd mean, you know, that's, that's James, James Madison, mm-hmm. the famous actor who was in the thing you never saw. I'd have been like, okay, but it was, so I thought he did really great on that, uh, but there's no, there's no bad performances in this. Yeah. Pierce Brosnan is a, is a fantastic actor who plays a wonderfully schmarmy professor. Uh, Annette Benning is great. Sarah Jessica Parker plays a delightful airhead. Michael J. Fox, I love him, you know, uh, just. Yeah, I think that it was really well cast. Yeah. Um, just like you you had the important parts when you needed it. You did. Yeah, as far as like just pure acting chops, I would have to give it to Jack Nicholson in this case, just because he had the bigger challenge yeah. of doing the two roles that were that different. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, you know, yeah, he was, just, he was just awesome. One thing I want to say, though, so Pam Greer is in this film. She plays the mother of uh, the two boys who shoot the aliens and skip school. And she, I feel like she was really underutilized in this film and Mm. I would have loved to have seen more of her. Yeah. Like she is a kick ass, kick ass actress. Mm -hmm. And I would have liked to just see her more to do in the film other than just worry about her kids. That's fair. Soundtrack. Uh, Just, it was generic action movie. I don't remember a single note of, of music at all. Yeah. Other than the Tom Jones song, which they played a couple times. <laughs> there was that, which was a nice surprise. When when he comes on the first time, and then... Yeah, I, I was wasn't expecting like, really, that. Tom but, Jones? <laughs> but, you know, part of it is, you know, you know a good chunk of the movie is set in Vegas, and right. he is... He is iconic in Vegas. He, yeah. he is iconic of Vegas, yeah. rather. If, if you were going to pick one person, especially this time period... Yeah. To be representative, you know what's going on in Vegas during an alien invasion. He was perfect. Yeah, your 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 runner-up would be Engelbert Humperdinck, but I just don't think he has the action chops required. Right in to, this to film, run around and fly a plane. Yeah, I just don't just don't think he had it in him. Also, just because it was such a glorious scene, but um, Tom Jones, along with one of the the the. I guess waitresses or showgirls, whatever you want to call it, from the from the the Egyptian barmaid lady. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And then uh, the hippie wife, Barbara Land. Barbara Land. Ned Benning's character. They fly to Lake Tahoe, and when they get there and they come out, when the aliens have been defeated, they go full Snow White, and all the woodland animals come to them. And she literally sticks her hand out, and a bird lands on it. Another dove lands. Yeah, and Tom Jones is petting the deer, and it's it's just it's beautiful because it just completely stupidly absurd, and I loved it. Yes, I had to mention that. That was one of my favorite scenes near the end there. Yeah, it was wonderful. So, final recommendation for this film: I absolutely recommend seeing this. It was not as well received in the year that it came out. It was a little bit of a, it was, it was a hit or miss for a lot of people. I I just don't think it was the right film at the time for Tim Burton's kind of audience. 
lot of people didn't know what to make of this film then. See, I think the other, the other thing I want to point out too, before, if I can just stop you for a moment, Independence Day came out earlier in the year. Mm. And that was a huge, huge, huge deal when that came out. Like that was a, that movie is glossed over today. Mm. It doesn't hold up as well. It, it's still enjoyable, fun film, but at the time it completely overshadowed something like this. And I think that's probably what a lot of people were comparing it to, Mm. you know, this more serious stylized comedy, sci-fi alien invasion movie versus this ridiculously stupid campy one, which is a fantastic homage to like, what if the war of the worlds happened now, but it was stupid. Mm-hmm. That's the whole basic premise of this film. Yeah. And it's, you have to, like you were saying earlier, it's, uh, you have to, you have to kind of be in tune with Tim Burton's sense of style and humor, I think. And a lot of it too is um, just like that absurdity is cranked up so high that if you appreciate that kind of humor, this is an easy recommendation. It's just, you know, absurd to, to the, nth degree and uh kind of like it's not a movie like it at all but in the way that edward scissorhands really kind of plays into that absurdity too of just you know the situation how people normally act and uh just really putting a magnifying glass on how ridiculous people can be just in everyday life so i would definitely recommend this to anyone who can appreciate that kind of just crazy absurd humor and you're in the mood for for a I mean, it's it's a weird mix-up because it's also just ultra-violent. Um, you know, there's people dying everywhere, and they just they just turn into skeletons. It's not like it's gory. but uh, And then the aliens kind of have green blood, goo, gore. Um, so, yeah, you have to be okay with a little violence, a little ultra-violence, but it's not, like, super gory. It's just ridiculous. It's certainly far... Far less genuine gore than what you would have like in any in any mild horror film either. Yeah. So yeah, overall I I definitely enjoyed it. Yeah. Eight plus. Ten out of ten would recommend again. I I laughed anyway. a lot, which is, is a great sign. And and a great, great uh change from last week's uh film. Yes. <laughs> which I'm not even gonna name. This is genuine comedy. This is good comedy, well written comedy, and I love Tim Burton's films. You know, even Pee Wee's Big Adventure from like 85. And this is really its own thing. It's not uh, kind of like how like Planet of the Apes was a Tim Burton film, but it's outside of his usual thing. Mm-hmm. In that case, not uh, not a good thing. In the case of this film, it's an excellent thing. Yeah. It's uh, too bad we don't have more films like this in a way. Yeah. But that's also what makes this one so special. It's a great examination of just how ridiculous it is to be an American sometimes. And when that intersects with aliens, it's, it's just all bets off. It's beautiful. Thank you for tuning in to uh, complimentary cinema here on the O&M Stockroom. We're your hosts, Brian McGarry and Ken O'Malley. And uh, please tune in uh, every Wednesday for a new episode on YouTube, Apple music, all the places where you can find us. And uh, what's our website again, Ken? Omstockroom.com. Until next time.